Jane Perone. I have a lot of plants and I'm not afraid to talk about them, which I guess is rather handy given my job as this podcast host. Welcome to On The Ledge, established February 2017. Whether you're listening to your first episode or your 195th, welcome to the show. This week, I'm going to be finding out about a fantastic not-for-profit organisation based in a women's prison that's bringing disused glass houses back to good use. To grow houseplants, of course. And I'll be answering a question about cork. The tree bark, not the place in Ireland, although I love both. And we'll be finding out about lucky bamboo. What is it and how to look after it? Spoiler alert, it's not actually bamboo. Shocking. Thank you to Karen for becoming a legend and Caitlin for becoming a superfan. They have both subscribed to On The Ledge on Patreon, which is a way of supporting the show on a regular basis and unlocking extra exclusive content. Find out more at the show notes, janeperone.com. It's been a busy week here at On The Ledge Towers. I gave a talk in person. Yes, I went out into the world and gave a talk about houseplants, which was really delightful to get before a live audience once more. And I've also been working on my forthcoming book, Legends of the Leaf. I'm working on a chapter about heterohelix, English ivy right now. And the trouble is, is that... While I'm researching, I'm discovering loads of gorgeous cultivars that are making me want to grow English ivy again. (laughs) So it's a peril of the book, but it's great fun. I'm really enjoying it and going deep with lots of fascinating cultural, botanical, scientific aspects of each of the 25 plants that I'm profiling. I found out a jaw-dropping ficus lyrata fiddly fig fact this week, which I can't wait to share with you in that chapter. So if you want to find out more about Legends of the Leaf, do check out the show notes where you can find out more and you can pre-order your copy. I'll be off to the Chelsea Flower Show next Monday for Press Day. Get the joy of rubbing shoulders with a few slebs, (laughs) which is always very strange because I don't recognise hardly anybody. Um, And I can only usually spot the celebrities because they are dressed so much fancily and they've got this glossy sheen compared to everybody else, us mere mortals. So that will be a really interesting episode. And that'll be next Friday, episode 196. Also, I've made a decision which I wanted to share with you. And that's that once I reach 200 episodes, which is in a few episodes time, I'm going to be taking the first 50 episodes of the show off free listening. What that means, you'll only be able to listen to episodes one to 50 of On The Ledge if you are a Patreon subscriber. If there's enough interest from people who want to listen to those episodes but don't want to become a Patreon subscriber, I might look at selling them individually. So get in touch if that's something you'd be interested in. But 
This way, it means that if you are legend or super fan level supporter, you'll have access to those extra episodes. There will still be 150 episodes of On The Ledge to listen to for free. So it doesn't seem like a bad deal for me. And it's just a way of growing my Patreon base, which is obviously how I make money and keep the show going. You you can join Patreon for a short amount of time. You don't have to commit to anything longer than uh, a month. So you could go on Patreon pay your five bucks and have a massive binge listen and listen to those 50 episodes in the course of a month, which seems like a pretty good deal to me. Obviously, I'm hoping that you'll stay longer and enjoy the content that's exclusive to Patreon, like An Extra Leaf, my bonus podcast, which comes out twice a month. Have you ever been inside a prison? Most of us are lucky enough to be able to say no to that question. Perhaps you've listened to the wonderful Ear Hustle podcast, which shines a light on every aspect of daily life in American prisons. Or you might have tuned in recently to new Canadian podcast Life Jolt about women in Canadian prisons. I'll include links in the show notes to both of these podcasts if you want to have a listen. Lots of my knowledge of prison comes from those two shows, but I've also actually been into a couple of prisons in my work as a journalist. And let me tell you, it's a sobering experience. I've come across some wonderful schemes that bring the well-being benefits of houseplants to marginalised groups of various kinds. But one of the most exciting is the Glass House, a social enterprise, and it's based in East Sutton Park Prison for Women, which is in Kent in the UK. Previously abandoned glass houses at this prison have been brought back into use and filled with plants. And the scheme trains women there to care for these plants and get them ready for sale. Not only do the women get a chance to spend time around greenery, something often sorely lacking in the confines of a prison, they also learn valuable skills that can serve them well after release. I talked to the Glass House co-founder, Carly Hamilton Stove, about why there are disused glass houses in prisons in the first place and how, just like everyone else, the prisoners get so attached to the plants they grow. Tell me about some of the challenges that women prisoners face and why this particular project is so good at offering them a different path. There's many aspects of the challenges they face within prison. You know, there's a lot of... um, mental struggle. There's a, there's a great deal of noise and not a lot of space for them to actually have time to think and work through some of the thoughts that are going around in their, in their heads. So I think that's a lot of it is kind of the situation within prison, especially women's prison with a lot of women around you. It's very difficult to kind of find the time and space to work on your own mental health. That has been one of the biggest things that we've noticed with the women when they come to us you know, they've been in a situation in prison sometimes for a few years, but sometimes for many years and have dealt with that kind of mayhem in their heads and providing a quiet space where they can focus on something other than themselves and grow and nurture something has had incredible benefits on that aspect of it. In addition, you know, women who have been in prison a long time or even a short time, it's very difficult for that transition to happen between prison and going back to normal life. Even if it's a short prison sentence, you become quite used to a certain situation within prison. And so, 
you know, seeing them and feeling how nervous and, and, and full of anxiety they are about that transition and about life outside of prison is um, something that needs to be dealt with and needs to be kind of supported. And so our project really spends a lot of time talking with them and when they're in the training about what they want to do when they get out and how they can make that happen and how we can best support them. And I think that is a massive benefit of programs like this in prison is helping with that transition and giving them the confidence to feel like they can succeed and have a good life out of prison when they are released. And what do they tell you about the impact of, of getting to know plants on their lives? We have two new women who don't have children, but the majority of women we work with have children. And, um, you know, having left their children behind to come into this environment is, is very difficult for them. And then coming into a glass house and having, you know, these beautiful little plants and big plants to take care of and nurture and watch over, I think, um, I think that's, they comment quite a lot and they're very protective. You know, we had a very hot weekend, I think two weekends ago, and um, they couldn't get out to the glass house to open the vent at the top. And so some of the, the Monstera got burned and they were so upset. <laughs> they were so disappointed that that had happened. And they, they just, I mean, tears, it was quite, you know, they, they really feel quite emotional about taking care of these things. And, and they love sending them out and thinking about them arriving to people's homes and making other people happy. And I think, you know, that the whole idea of giving, uh, taking care of something else and giving something that will make people happy making them happy it's just shows you that you know that's really what what it's all about what's the story behind these prison greenhouses that have been left empty for a number of years well this prison in particular has four quite large greenhouses and they do use one of the greenhouses for their own gardens because they have they have a very good um farm and agricultural program there and they um, have been kind of working on their garden program on and off but they have some excellent um, gardeners and who are leading the garden program at the at the prison at East Sutton Park and so one of the glass houses was in use and that's where they do a lot of seeding and growing for their own purposes for their own grounds and they also um, sometimes have in the past not whilst I've been there but in, in the past they've uh, provided plants to other prisons as well but they just have three additional glass houses that they didn't really need or use. And, um, and from what we can, with the, from the Ministry of Justice has said that there are quite a few older prisons that have these glass houses and have had to cut the funding for, you know, gardening programs and agricultural programs. And so there, while some prisons, the newer ones especially, won't have them, we're still interested in maybe going into those and actually having building a glass house to have this program. But, um, but there are quite a few around the country that, that have glass houses that are not in use at the moment. Thanks to Carly. And Patreon subscribers can hear the complete interview with her in the latest episode of An Extra Leaf, which is out now. Do check the show notes for a link. If you're a legend or a super fan, you can have a listen. The plants raised by The Glass House are available to buy from theglasshouse.co.uk and they've also been working with big corporate names like Vodafone to deliver plants to home workers across the UK. And in the longer interview, we also talk about sustainability. These houseplants are raised without peat in a sustainable and ethical way. So what a fantastic project. And I do hope you'll check the show notes so you can find out more and support them. 
Hi, let's start talking about Lucky Bamboo. I got the idea to talk about this in the podcast because I went to Ikea with my daughter and she picked up a twirly stick, (laughs) uh, which was a single cane of Lucky Bamboo. And she brought it home with her and it got me thinking about this particular plant. It's so popular. Millions of them are sold around the world every year. But what do we know about it? Let's start off this discussion of Lucky Bamboo by heading up to my daughter's bedroom to have a look at Lil Curly. Lil Curly is my daughter's Lucky Bamboo, name chosen by her. Let's go. I should say that I have asked my daughter if this is all right for me to come and see Little Curly. She said it was fine. She didn't want to be interviewed. She's a bit uh, shy of the microphone, but that's fine. This She's very lucky, actually, because her bedroom has uh, a big south-facing window, so it's ideal for lots of plants. And she's got various cacti and succulents, which have obviously all come from me. And... Um, this is where we also find Lil Curly. Why do I have to say it in that accent? I don't know. It's just one of those things. And here is the plant itself. So it's a single stem that's come supplied in a little test tube-like clear plastic vial. And it's got a very clever top where the stem goes through and you don't lose the water because it's got a sort of rubber seal on it. And it's one of the ones that's spiralling. So the stem spirals twice and then it's got some leafy growth coming out of the top of it. And the first thing we need to say about Lucky Bamboo, well, it's not bamboo. The species is actually a form of Dracaena, Dracaena sandariana. And this species comes from West Africa, so places like Angola and Cameroon. This is where Dracaena sandariana grows in the wild and not surprisingly it doesn't grow exactly like you see it in the form of lucky bamboo each of these nobbles which technical term there um which is uh, the node on the stem um each of those nobbles uh would have a leaf coming out of it in nature they've just been removed to make it look more like bamboo why do that well actual bamboo is quite hard to grow indoors and so somebody somewhere latched onto the idea that you could make Dracaena sandriana look like bamboo. Bamboo is considered a very lucky plant in Chinese culture and so how wonderful to be able to grow something inside that looks near as damn it to bamboo and you could call it lucky bamboo. So great marketing idea and this is the result. And this plant as I say, those those leaves, as it's grown, are all stripped off the stem so that you get this bare stem, which is, well, yeah, it is quite bamboo-like. The difference is, this is a solid stem. It's not a hollow stem like actual bamboo would be. And the leaves, they are very similar to bamboo, particularly when you've got the plain green variety, which this is. If you grow this as a house plant, you'll find that you get you can get variegated varieties if you buy it as a normal house plant there are some lovely cream striped varieties you can get and at the very top of this stem there is the end's been sealed with wax so that there's a side uh, the top node is producing growth but the stem won't produce any more growth right at the top 
So these are often sold like this as a single stem, either straight or spiraling as this one is. But you can also buy Lucky Bamboo in these very elaborate braided or stacked arrangements. Um, they're very, very popular and they'll often be tied together with red or gold um, twine or plastic ties, uh, both of those colours being auspicious in Chinese culture also. And if you are a proponent of the Chinese belief system of feng shui, channeling energy in your home by moving things around in a particular way, then this plant is believed to be particularly good for feng shui. I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail about this because I'm not hugely knowledgeable. It's one of those things that's been co-opted around the world. And I would imagine probably, as far as the Chinese are concerned, twisted into all kinds of ways that aren't genuine <laughs> feng shui. But what I can tell you is that this has made this plant an incredibly popular global hit in the last 20 or so years. People buying it because they want to feng shui their living room and create um, good energy. I mean, that's not a bad thing to be thinking about making your home uh, a good environment. Um, I'm all for that. And what better way to do it than plants? As I say, there's various arrangements you can you can get it in. The one to avoid is the one with four stems, which you won't really see very often, but apparently that denotes death. So avoid four stems of Lucky Bamboo if you are um, on board with, with those ideas. Um, I'm not personally, I would absolutely not be afraid of any consequences of having four Lucky Bamboo stems together. But you know, I totally respect you if you would find that problematic. So I got this stem of my daughter's in this vial and I'm wondering to myself how long this is going to survive. It's got a root system. I can see it's got some white healthy roots going on there. And I do know my daughter said that she is replacing the water regularly. I would recommend if you've got a bigger arrangement once a week, taking it out, giving it a wash off and replacing the water, uh, that's definitely worth doing. But ultimately, probably if this is kept in this setup, it may last about a year before the plant really starts to struggle. It's not something you're going to keep for decades on end. So eventually it will die or you can transplant it into soil. And we can talk a little bit about that and how to propagate Lucky Bamboo next. I'm going to head back down to the studio to do that because um, it's getting rather hot in this uh, in this window, it's rather lovely in the sunshine, but uh, it might make me fall asleep. So I'm gonna head back to my desk to talk a little bit more about Lucky Bamboo. And I'm gonna leave little Curly here with the other houseplants. Yeah, it's very exciting. My daughter's getting into houseplants and uh, yeah, she's lucky in that her mother is able to supply her with all sorts of things. So she's got one of the cacti that I grew from seed. She's got a little baby pancake Calanco, she's got peanut cactus, she's got a lovely little crassula. It's looking like a really nice collection. So yeah, passing it on to the next generation of houseplant lovers. Awesome. Right, I'm heading downstairs now and I will leave little Curly there and we'll talk about uh, how to get it to, get, to keep growing longer. And we'll also talk a little bit about the spiral thing and why you really don't want to try growing a spiral shaped lucky bamboo. <laughs> I'll explain why. 
So Dracaena sandriana, as I just said, it's not a plant that you would have seen in houseplant books previous to the 21st century as lucky bamboo. It is in my gold-plated houseplant expert circa, well, what, what year was this published? I think this is from the 90s as Dracaena sandriana ribbon plant, but you wouldn't see it as lucky bamboo because it wasn't really widely marketed in that way apart from the last 20 years. It has been on the houseplant scene for over 120 years, though, more generally. I first turned up in Europe in about 1888 when a botanist called Johannes Braun took some plants to the Berlin Botanic Gardens. And Sandriana, that name comes from Henry Frederick Conrad Sander, who you may have heard of because he was a big orchid grower. Um, he had an orchid nursery in St. Albans, which is in England, not actually that far from me. And he was famous for his orchids, but he also had this Dracaena named after him. So by 1906, I've got a catalogue in front of me for the McGregor Brothers of Springfield, Ohio, advertising Dracaena sandariana which they call one of the finest decorative plants of late introduction. And they suggest planting it in jardinieres. So there you go. It's been around on the houseplant market for an awfully long time. And in the last 20 or so years, it's taken on this new incarnation in terms of lucky bamboo. Personally, I prefer it as a full plant rather than bamboo style. It's an attractive easy to grow plant like so many other species in that wonderful genus Dracaena, which of course now includes the Sansevierias, you know, like Dracaena marginata and the lovely Godsefiana and Fragrans and Reflexa. There are so many great Dracaenas which are super tough plants and this is one of them. So yeah, if you've got a bamboo and you want to turn it into a soil plant, what can you do? Well, the first thing to say is it may not work. Why? Well, your plant has been running on reserves for quite a long time already by the time you get it. Um, they are tough plants and they can cope with being in a tiny vial of water for quite some time, particularly if you keep refreshing that water. But they will be struggling to adapt to soil. One other thing to say about the water while I think of it, when you're changing the water, try to use either filtered water or distilled water or rainwater rather than tap water if your tap water contains things like fluoride and chlorine because Dracaenas are one of those plants that are quite sensitive to that. I mean, that said, my daughter's been putting tap water in hers. It's absolutely fine. But if you have access to the water other than tap water, then do use it. So going back to putting it in the soil, you want to make sure you've got a decent root system of vaguely healthy roots. The whiter the root, probably the newer and healthier it is. Cut off any roots that aren't looking very healthy and then you can pot it up. And when you put the bamboo into the soil, just make sure that one or ideally two nodes are below the surface of the soil. And when you're doing this, you've really got to be thinking about this transition moment when your lucky bamboo is going from water to soil. Roots that have been in water for a long time, they're adapted to that those conditions. So they're going to struggle initially in soil. The best thing to do is what I always say is 
chuck an old clear plastic bag over them, over the whole thing, pot and plant so they can really start to acclimatise gradually to the new conditions. If the roots are really manky, technical term, you can just trim your stem down. You could actually just cut the nodes into smaller pieces if you wanted to. If you've got a really long one, you could cut the end off. It's up to you exactly how you do it, but cut the end off neatly just below a node. When you've trimmed that stem, you can put some rooting hormone on the bottom to encourage it to root further and pop it in the soil. And that's another way of getting it rooted if that root system is looking really in a state and you want to start again. One of the issues with this plant is the fact that if you go and look at academic papers about this species, the vast majority of them are focusing on problems with fungal infections and diseases that might be carried by these plants. Obviously, they're imported into places like the US and the UK by the million from places like China and Thailand. And there's a lot of research being done into the various conditions that they can be bringing in. So that's something to think about. <laughs> if your plant is looking at all miserable, there is an argument to say that it needs to go into the bin rather than being potted up. It probably won't grow. Plus, you don't want to be accidentally spreading any new pests and diseases. So just be aware of that. If you've got a braided or bunched lucky bamboo you can just cut all of those ties and separate them out each one of those will make a separate plant that's how it grows in west africa in its native home it's growing in sort of rainforest type environments um it grows to about three two three meters tall and will be living underneath other plants so it doesn't it isn't sitting in direct sunlight it's under a semi-shaded canopy and the way it's grown when it's grown for production is tends to be very tightly packed together so it stretches up obviously and makes a nice long cane if you grow it in the pot, the pot you'll find that it should grow lots of leaves and have leaves all the way along the cane once it's established new growth will have leaves all the way up the stem and provide a completely different look to your plant it is possible to try growing your own spiralized bamboo lucky bamboo the process though is tedious like you have to put it in a box and rotate it obviously the nursery is producing this on a mass scale they've got it down pat but there is a way of doing it i'll put a link to an explanation of how to do it but it's going to take a long time i'm really not sure it's worth it unless you are the kind of person that loves a science experiment other than that i think probably leave the spiraling of the lucky bamboo to the experts Question of the week. This one comes from Ben and I am doing this on the show, Ben, because I've tried repeatedly to email you, but my email has been repeatedly returned. So I haven't been able to get in touch and I did want to answer your question. It was a follow up to the Peter Boyce Aroids episode about growing epiphytes up cork. And Ben is building a giant climbing wall of plants and was going to use plywood, but now wants to use cork for two reasons partly because it was recommended by the legendary Mr. Boyce and secondly because it's renewable. So if you don't know, cork bark comes from 
the evergreen oak tree known as Kirkus suba, the cork oak, and the bark is harvested from the tree and the tree can regrow that bark. How clever is that? And the cork forests that produce most of the world's bark are in Mediterranean Europe, places like Portugal and Spain. And they also support lots of biodiversity. So cork is uh, is a sustainable substance and epiphytes do grow extremely well on it. There's one problem and that's that the cork that Ben has located is very, very smooth. And Ben's worried that the nooks and crannies that the plants might need to anchor themselves aren't there. So what kind of bark should Ben go for? Well, first off, I wouldn't worry too much about the smoothness. The whole plants on planks movement, if I can call it that, the hashtag plants on planks movement will show you that when you investigate on social media, you'll see lots of posts. The wood that's used is is very varied and it doesn't have to be hugely textured. Some of the planks that people use are, you know, not are quite smooth. Certainly as smooth as a lot of the cork I've seen. But I do know what you mean. For epiphytes, you would think you need some kind of texture at the very least. After all, you know, Peter's suggestion of a rough plank of wood, well, that doesn't have fissures in it. It may have a, a rough texture, but it doesn't actually contain fissures. Um, well, I think it would probably take a bit longer for really smooth cork to be colonised by roots, but not impossible. Wolfie's uh, just in the background jingling away. If you can hear his collar, which I've forgotten to take off. My apologies. So... If you want to get some rougher cork, I would look at reptile shops if you can. They often sell cork backdrops for reptile enclosures, which are made of cork that's fairly rough. And you can also get chunks of cork that are put into the base of vivariums. Um, sometimes they are cylinder shaped or half a cylinder and then you could cut them in half. They'd be absolutely fine for epiphytes. And sometimes you can just get chunks. I know I got a chunk of cork for my daughter's isopods. So reptile shops would be my first thought. I'm wondering though, if you could, you know, get inventive and try an old cork board or cork tiles. You can buy cork tiles. I don't know how smooth they are. Um, it depends how big the plant is you're trying to support. But yeah, get inventive. Ask around and see what you can find. But as I say, the reptile shop strikes me as being the place to go. So I hope that helps Ben. And I'll put a couple of links in the show notes to some info on cork bark and the cork oak in case you've never heard of that. And it's a really interesting industry because those cork forests do support quite a few other species. And now it's seen as quite a sustainable way of growing. So yay for cork. If you've got a question for On The Ledge, drop me a line on the ledge podcast at gmail.com. this week's show i'll be back next friday with my report from the chelsea houseplant show i mean chelsea flower show maybe i should start a campaign take care bye the music you heard in this episode was roll jordan rolled by the joy drops the road we used to travel when we were kids by komiku and overthrown by josh woodward Tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details.